Um, the Bible reading this morning is taken from 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 to, uh, through the whole chapter. Thanks. Um, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baalzebub, the, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you go off to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to us, they replied, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of annals of the kings of Israel? Amen. Thank you so much for the reading of God's word. 
Welcome. Thank you so much for being here this morning, whether you're here in the auditorium or online with us. It is great to join together. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here at SDBC, and uh, I, I just love bringing God's Word, uh, even when they're difficult ones like this. Uh, I know that last week, uh, Pastor Darrell spoke on something, and he and I tackled the same problem. I don't remember because I was sleeping during his message. But... Um, <laughs> I spoke on a very different message. I approached it a very different way. So I spoke on the corruption of sin and how those who continue in sin are willfully ignorant of the truth that is before them. And that's the truth of God, but the truth of those messengers who may come and speak to them as well. They only wanted to see what they wanted to see. They didn't want to listen to that truth which would challenge them and cause them to change their direction. And then I spoke about how when that truth is constantly ignored, God's ultimate judgment does occur. He doesn't remain quiet forever. His judgment will come, but he is a patient, loving God. It is his desire that people not be punished. He wants people to come into a saving knowledge for him. Looking at today's passage, and I think Pastor Darrell would agree on his message last week, we could say ditto, close the Bibles and go home. Because it's just a repeat uh, of what happened with King Ahab. You see, King Ahaziah was the son of Ahab, and he only reigned for two years over Israel. And he, just like his father, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father and his mother. And it's really interesting that his mother Jezebel is mentioned here. That's not common in scripture for uh, wives of kings or even women to be mentioned. It's not a common thing. But so evil was Jezebel that she gets a particular mention here. And so she is remembered by all who read scripture. And we know from the previous account that there was 450 prophets of Baal who had been wiped out on Mount Carmel. And we saw that King Ahaziah is continuing in Baal worship, even though those guys had been wiped out. He was following in the footsteps of his mother and father. And our focus this morning is actually going to be on, on this final act of Elijah in his service for the Lord and the ministry that he had as a prophet. But I think we can learn a bit on what it means to be a man or woman of God in this context. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you so much that we can be gathered here this morning. I thank you for those who have joined us online. And Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. And I thank you, Lord, even though this is an event that happened thousands of years ago, there's relevance in that for us. And I pray, Lord, that we'll have open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear from you. Lord, please take this word. Use it for your glory and purposes this morning. Help it to change someone's life, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you, you heard what was read to you this morning, and as it started out, there was this one bit about how Moab rebelled against Israel. Uh, they were aware that King Ahab had died, and they saw this as an opportunity to get out from underneath um, the rule of Israel. They'd been subject to Israel for so long. So it was at this time that they declared their independence of Israel. They wanted to be free. And that alone uh, puts King Ahaziah on the back foot. 
It would have been quite a challenge to his rule and reign at that time to have these guys who've been subject for so long to rebel against him. But then the other foot falls. And he falls through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria. And he's laying sick, believing that he's not going to recover from the injuries that he has sustained. You know what's quite interesting about this? Back in Deuteronomy 22.8, God actually made this rule. He made a command, which is quite an unusual rule and command. He said that you should put railings up on your roof so no one can fall off or fall through lattices. If King... Ahaziah had have done that he wouldn't be where he is now but it's possibly one of those cases where whatever God says he decides to do the the opposite and so here he is with his injuries not sure if he's going to survive and as many of us do it's in these times of suffering these times of pain that we look beyond ourselves to inquire as if as if there is to some solution out there how can I actually get help for where I am And it's also at these times where the truth comes out, hey, what you really believe, where your faith and trust really is. And so the question can be asked of all of us, where do you look when troubles hit? The account that we have has been repeated in different ways throughout the times a reflection of the true strength and faith of a person, what they really trust and believe in. And that comes out when real trouble comes upon them. And it's no different for King Ahaziah. And so he sends messages and he says, go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. See whether I shall recover or not. I think the first warning we have when troubles come for us is to be careful where you look for answers. Be careful who you seek for wisdom and guidance. And in King Ahaziah's case, he was worshipping Baal. Not because Baal had done anything great for him. In fact, if we look at the history, Baal hadn't done anything for him at all. But he worships Baal because that's what mum and dad did. And I think this is a clear call for us too. If you're sitting in this auditorium today because mum and dad sat in a church auditorium every Sunday and that's all it is for you, you need to think about that. You need to own this faith for yourself. It cannot be mum and dad's faith. Because when crisis comes, it's not going to be enough just to have a Sunday. You need to have the Lord. We have this impotent God, Baal. Then on the other hand, we've got this God of Israel, the God who Ahaziah's forefathers would have spoken about and would have said how God brought them out of Egypt. And then we have Ahaziah who would have stood alongside his father when he saw the great and mighty things that God had done. He heard the messenger of God come to his father and say, there's going to be no rain for three years. And behold, that was correct. And then when that same prophet prayed, he saw the rain come. He stood on Mount Carmel and again witnessed how powerless Baal and his prophets were how they petitioned Baal for so many hours and then the man of God prayed a very simple prayer and fire fell from heaven, consuming 
not just the sacrifice, but consuming the timber under the sacrifice, the stone altar that was under that timber, the very ground that was around that, and all the water that had been poured out as well. It was an incredibly powerful scene, especially compared to what happened with the prophets of Baal. And then those prophets of Baal who supposedly were protected by their God are put to death, all 450 of them in accordance with God's word. Ahaziah had seen all that. And he still goes back to Baal. How hard was his heart? How could he turn away from that which was obvious before his very eyes and pursue that which was a myth? And he goes and gets word from Baalzebub. Apparently this is a deliberate changing of the name of the God they worshipped. This Baalzebub, it basically means Lord of the Flies. And it was really Baalzebul, who means Lord Prince. But whatever way you look at it, whenever this God comes up in Scripture, death isn't far behind him. And we all know that death attracts flies anyway, so maybe the name works anyway. But King Ahaziah sends his servants to inquire of Baalzebub. And that's in direct disobedience to God's command in Deuteronomy 12, where Israel is not only to not worship or serve other gods, they're not to inquire of them either. They're not to speak about them in that way. And so these guys head off. And as they're travelling, they come to God's servant Elijah. And so the angel of the Lord had told Elijah to arise and go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and to say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? God commissions his messenger to meet the messenger of the king. This will be Elijah's last commission. And we need to ask whose authority is greater here? And even at the proclamation of this, it's very, very interesting, the reaction and response. When we think about King Ahaziah and the fact that he's gone and inquired of Baalzebub, he has shown a blatant disregard for God and his law. God's judgment has already been pronounced upon Ahab's family, uh, which includes Ahaziah. But again, we know the patience and graciousness of God. We know that he is reluctant to punish. We know that he is preferring that people will acknowledge and turn to him. But he will not allow people to disregard him and his power forever. And so God's judgment is pronounced through Elijah. And he says, you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. His judgment and pronouncement because of Ahaziah's actions. We have no indication of how the conversation went with the messengers uh, from the king, but there must have been something in that, hey, this messenger of God speaks to the messengers of the king and they immediately turn around and go back to that king. There must have been some power in what Elijah said. There must have been something in how he said it or what the message contains. They went, you know what, this has greater authority than the commission that we have been given by our king and we are going to return to him. And that's exactly what they did. 
they return to the king. And of course, when these guys walk in, King Ahaziah goes, what are they back so soon for? Even today, to travel between these two places from Samaria to Ekron is 134 kilometres. So it would have taken them quite some time to travel that distance and they would have had to travel uh, through uh, Jerusalem where um, Elijah was and that's where they get turned around. They come back with a message from the one true God. Not from Baal. And it's almost like the challenge of the prophets of Baal has been repeated all over again. God says, you must think there is no God of Israel if you're sending for Baal. You have rejected the one true God. But you will know that he lives. That he will not be ignored. That he will not be mocked. And his word will come to completion. And it's interesting when we look at Elijah, this this man of God, he seems very comfortable and very confident. And that's testament to God's calming presence. When the king's messengers return early, And they tell him what happened. He wants to have a description of the guy who gave this message. He wants to know who it was. And his messengers respond with this description. He wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist. And straight away, the king knows who this is. He knows that it is Elijah. And so the messengers provide Ahaziah with this physical description of Elijah. And he recognises that as being this man of God. He had seen him many times through the situation with his father. And he knew that that was Elijah who had confronted and spoken to his father. And he knew also that was the same Elijah who declared he would serve his father. But what is more important than a physical description in how someone appears is a description of who he is, a description of what he does. And that's never mentioned by these guys. Elijah is a man of God. He has been guided by the one true God and he stood by God's power and strength. And he stood in situations where many of us would have fallen away. It's okay, I would have been first. I would have led the retreat. And Elijah has chosen to glorify God with his very life. And although he had moments of weakness, he continually returned to God. When he had his doubts, he returned to God. And ultimately, he brought God glory and honour in all that he did. And his purpose now, in approaching King Ahaziah, is to show him that God alone is the one true God. Because Elijah stands before God. And because Elijah stands before God, he is confident to go into the presence of King Ahaziah knowing that he could be killed. Knowing that whatever happens, that's in God's hands. If you were King Ahaziah, what would you do if you heard this message? I find it interesting when King Ahaziah um, gets the message and 
is told that someone gave it to his servants, he's more interested about who brought the message than what the message actually says. He's more focused on this man of God who, just like his father, he sees as an enemy rather than looking at what God said and the pronouncement and judgment which was upon him. I wonder if he had taken a step back and said, well, this is a man of God. I've seen what he can do by the power of God. I wonder if he'd taken that step back. He'd realize that this again was opportunity for him to humble himself before God, to repent and ask God for his forgiveness. But instead, he's focused on the messenger of God and he wants to crucify him. He wants to kill him. He wants to harm that man. It's incredible. Surely he knows because of the stuff he's seen. There's absolutely no way he's going to win. But instead of humbling himself and seeking forgiveness, he hardens his heart and he goes after Elijah. And he sends these 50 men with a captain. And they go up to Elijah and says, come down. And it's interesting, these men come out to attack him. We remember when Jezebel said that she was going to kill Elijah, he ran off. And in this, in this case, we don't know where Elijah went, but it must have been just out of the city and he calmly sits on a hill and it's like he's waiting for these guys to come. He's now confident in his position with God. He's confident that God is able to look after him in each and every situation. He's confident that God's will will be done. And he's just sitting on a hill when these guys rock up to talk to him. Now this captain of the guard, he would have been present when everything happened on Mount Carmel. Maybe he wasn't, but I think it's fairly accurate to say that he would have been. But he approaches Elijah confident in his own ability, his own position and his own authority. He's also confident in the 50 guys that are backing him up. He believes that he has the power to overcome this one man. But they had no idea about the power that backed up Elijah. Fire comes down and consumes this guy and he's 50. Then another captain comes along, perhaps even more confident and he's even more demanding. He, he says, this is the king's order. He has all authority in this area and you need to come down now. We're not mucking around. And so he has confidence in the power and authority of the king's word. But God bows to no man. A slightly different message from the captain of this 50, but exactly the same outcome. What's with the fire and Elijah? It's one of the things he's known for, isn't it? And uh, the, only other account, the only account we have in the New Testament is in Luke 9, where James and John say to Jesus, shall we call down fire upon these people? And uh, they're talking about a village that had rejected Jesus. They wouldn't allow Jesus to uh, pass through there. And Jesus forbids them to do so. And yet, it seems that in Elijah's ministry, any time there was a bit of a problem, fire from heaven. It's a pretty good way for things to happen. Would you like that gift? No? no I don't know. I think sometimes, yep, that solved that problem. <laughs> what we need to realise is the fire surrounding Elijah is, of course, a demonstration of the great and mighty power of God. But it's also for Elijah's protection. These guys were coming against him. They were going to kill him. And so God, for some reason, decided, yep, fire's the way this is going to happen. 
and these guys are not going to bother my servant anymore. The situation in the New Testament was very, very different where these disciples had a taste of power by Holy Spirit and this village hadn't done anything great. They just, you know, rejected the Lord. So this was almost petty revenge on the part of the disciples. And there's a subtle lesson here too. We are not to follow the examples of the different people in Scripture except the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told to follow him and his example. And as far as I know, I'm happy to be challenged. I don't think Jesus ever called fire down during his ministry on earth. Happy to be corrected. And so we're to follow Jesus, not the examples of others in Scripture. And we're not to desire those things. We're to copy Jesus' attitudes and actions when it comes to those who oppose us. And then we have this third guy that comes along. Elijah has remained unmoved. He's sitting on the same hill. And so this guy rocks up. And this guy is totally different to the others. Uh, Someone has obviously been a witness to everything that has happened because when he comes up, he knows what happened to the other guys. Uh, But he seems to be quite different to the others. He's not too proud to humble himself. And this is a huge thing for a captain of men. And he comes and he kneels before Elijah. It's not just what he says it's his actions as well he acknowledges Elijah as a man of God and he's kneeling before him to indicate that what he's saying is true and the other thing is he's not just concerned for himself he's concerned for his men that's a huge thing and so he's worried about their life as much as he's worried about his own life and so He approaches Elijah totally different. And the angel of the Lord says to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose, Elijah, and went down with him to the king. And this angel of the Lord speaking to Elijah is most likely Jesus. But what is said here, it seems Elijah has been warned by either Jesus or another angelic messenger about the other two captains. But this one, you're safe to go with. This one, you don't have to be afraid of. You should travel with him to the king. And Elijah must have been relieved that he could trust this guy. I'm sure the captain was relieved and his 50 men were relieved as well. And Elijah slowly stands and travels with him back to see the king. And Elijah brings his message to the king and ultimately God's word is fulfilled. It's really amazing, isn't it? Everything that King Ahaziah has done has been to deny God to deny God's power, to deny God's presence, to deny God's authority. But the very things that he did to deny the one true God are the very things that caused God to move against him. And if anything, it made God more real. You, myself and others at times made a try and deny the reality and truth of God and his commands. But just like King Ahaziah, no one, no one will escape the presence and judgment of God. And King Ahaziah's day has come. What we need to understand too, God is not forbidding us to go to others for advice and counsel. In fact, he encourages us to do exactly that. 
We're told in Proverbs 11.14 that an abundance of counsellors provides safety for us. These are godly men and women who will come together with you and call upon God to discern his will and purpose in our lives. But we also have to be careful to ensure that we are personally going to God and his word and seeking what he wants for us. The other thing we have to be careful of is that we are not going to people in order to deliberately avoid going to God. God should be our first port of call. And that's going to take some conditioning, that's going to take some training, because when we look at the world, the world says to look after yourself. The world says to that you are number one. The world is constantly trying to encourage us to put our crown back on our head and to lead our own lives for ourselves. And God says that's not the way to do things. You know, we should submit to him. Our crown should be at his feet. And we should go to him first whenever we're in difficulty and wherever we're in trouble. So many people say they would never avoid God and then a situation will arise where they know exactly what God's word says and then they'll go to people, even Christian friends, in a hope that they will say what they want to hear which will oppose what God's word says. We have to make sure that we're people who do not do that. To be honest, we will never know the true motives of Ahaziah's heart. But it's clear that he had no respect for God whatsoever. This is a man who was appointed to be king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel, God's chosen people. And the king, who's supposed to be an example of what it means to worship God. He's supposed to be a mediator between God and the people as well. He's supposed to lead them in the ways of the Lord. So he's not only failed himself, but he's failed his subjects and he has failed God. Rather than doing what he is commissioned to do, he did exactly the opposite. And so he died. That was God's pronouncement. God said that that would happen through his servant Elijah. And so Jehoram, his brother, Ahaziah's brother, rules in his place. What does that mean for us today? I think first and foremost, we have to understand that there is a God, a one and only true God, a God who longs to have each and every one of us as part of his family, each and every person who lives and breathes. God wants them in the kingdom. He wants you to be with him in eternity and whether we like to believe it or not that was his desire for King Ahaziah as well but God gives us free will God allows us to make choices and so throughout life we all have choices to make And King Ahaziah could have cried out to God at any time. He could have reached out to God and begged him to help him. And he should have. But he didn't. He refused. He wouldn't. 
In the Old Testament, there's this guy called Jonah. Jonah is called by God to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it because their wickedness had come up before God. And Jonah was ticked off. And he didn't want to do it because he knew that God was a God of compassion. He knew that God was a God of grace. He knew that God was a God of forgiveness. And and Jonah's heart was a bit hardened towards that city of Nineveh. And he didn't want to see them saved. He didn't want to see them being able to accept God's grace. And so Jonah ran away. He decided he was going to flee from the Lord. And he thought he had solved the problem. He thought that he could escape the commission that God had given him. He quickly found out he was wrong. And I think you know the story where he was swallowed by a great fish. And when he's nearing the end of life, we are told, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and he answered me. He didn't get out of the commission. He had to go and do that. But I want you to focus on that line. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and he answered me. It's the same for all of us. That's what Ahaziah should have done. He should have called upon the Lord in his distress and God would have answered him. It may not have saved him. We don't know God's will and purposes. It may not have saved him. But it would have began this great relationship that he could have had with God. He would have understood the comfort and presence of God in a very real and powerful way. God would have answered. Instead, he thought he'd try and sort the issue on his own. We never do that, do we? We never think we have the power to sort something out on our own, eh? We always go to God. Wish I did. We need to come to him. We need to humble ourselves. We need to acknowledge our desperate need of him. What messes have you created? What messes have I created in my life? Because I've tried to go it alone. What things have we tried to fix? That personal defeat, that embarrassment, that humiliation, the destruction, the broken relationships, the consequences, the wrecked lives that lie in our wake, the collateral damage, those that have been injured and hurt through things we've done. God can mend broken hearts. God can mend broken lives. God can mend broken bodies. He can mend broken relationships and so much more. But the onus is on us to ask him for help. He is so willing to help, but we seem so reluctant to ask. He is the God of so much more. Will you invite him into your situation? And I know there's people suffering. Pastor Darrell knows there's people suffering. We've spoken with you. There's some terrible things happening in our congregation at the moment. Terrible things. Things that some people aren't responsible for. And praise God, those people are crying out to God in the midst of their suffering. And they're knowing this calm presence of of God just being with them, even though they're still hurting, even though they don't understand what is happening, they know he's there. When we need to fulfil something in our lives, when we need to find pleasure, when we need to find companionship, when we need to find joy, 
When we need to find something to complete us, where do we look? Because you'll only ever find those things in God. Do our actions deny God? Do our actions show that we don't really believe he can help in difficult situations? When we're under the pump, is it obvious to our friends that God is real because we're unwavering in our faith and we're constantly putting ourselves before him again? When we look at Elijah, he was able to remain firm and stand firm in all that he faced in this account. Not because of who he was, but because of the relationship that he had with his loving Heavenly Father, the power and presence of his God. A God that he spent time with getting to know, dwelling with. If we want to be the same, if we want to be able to stand firm in all situations, we must get to know God. We must spend time with him. And so I ask, are you known outside of these walls as a man or woman of God? Not because you say you are, but because people can see it in you. People can see that you have this trust and confidence in the one true God. They can see it by your actions. They can see it by the way you speak and how he is part of those conversations. And if you're not, We can apprentice ourselves to Jesus now. We can learn from him. He is so willing to teach us. And Daryl and I and Trace and Alvin and the elders can't get you to do that. You have to do it yourself. It's your decision. Let me pray. Father God... It's so amazing when we look at King Ahaziah and his pursuit of a false god and how he didn't see the very evidence that is before his eyes about how powerful and mighty and loving and gracious and forgiving you are, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we won't be like that. I pray for everyone in the auditorium. I pray for those online, Lord, that we won't be like that, but that we'll have open hearts, open minds to the truth of who you are. And Lord, even when you say and do things that we don't like, when you challenge us, that we'll be willing to humbly submit ourselves before you, that we'll be willing to open ourselves to you and your word, Lord, and that we will learn from you. Father, it's a weird term to be apprenticed to Jesus, but I want to grow to be like him. And I pray that's the prayer for everyone here this morning, that we will want to grow to be like Jesus, not just mimicking him, Lord, but loving him, being present with him, drawing closer to him, confessing our sins to him, because we know that puts a barrier between us and him, trusting him daily as our Lord and Saviour, and knowing his presence and power through Holy Spirit. May it be our prayer that each of us are yours for your glory and purpose. Take us and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I invite you. There's people who will pray with you. Please come forward. And, and you may not want to share what you want prayer for. That's actually okay. You may want to share what you want prayer for. Please come and do that. Happy to pray for you. And uh, we'd just like to encourage you. Guys, as you head into this week, can I encourage you to read God's word?
May he make that alive to you. May you be blessed by that. May it encourage and challenge you to transform your life to be more like Jesus. And may you put him first in all that you do. God bless. Thank you. Amen.